Welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us again today. Katie, what's going on in the farm? What's going on in the house? What's going on with the kids? Well, I've got some pictures to post, but we have four new kittens out in the barn and they're really effing cute. Really cute. Um, what does you know, your like, current uh, barn cat population look like? Like, are we long-haired, short-haired, tabbies, lots of I black cats? What's your uh, genetic? Ten short-haired adults today, varying mm -hmm. ages. I mean, some of those cats are pretty old. We've been spaying and neutering as many as we can. To get the barn cat discount, you have to take in like 15 animals at a time, which is a lot of money. And hopefully you don't have that many. I mean, like we did for a while. We did, <laughs> but I mean, like the idea yeah. is, you would spay and neuter so you don't get to that number. Yeah, precisely. We don't have that number anymore. We got distemper a few years ago when our numbers got really high, and that was a horrible, horrible way to reduce our numbers. But it was very effective. So vaccinate your animals, folks. I know it's hard to vaccinate barn cats because they're hard to catch. Um, I did see that one of our local shelters catches uh, feral cats like that and then adopts them out but labels them as working cats instead of you know barn right. cats they're labeled as working cats which i like you know they're not pets they are working animals they've got a job to do yes and hopefully they will do it effectively so we've got some kittens and lambing is on the calendar to start saturday but i've started you know going out every few hours during the day to check a because it's nice to have a break and walk around from my desk and b because we're approaching that point of how the hell are those lambs still in there? So, you know, they're they're getting ready and it's always kind of challenged to guess which one's gonna go first. It seems like it's it's never the you that looks likeliest that ends up going first, but you know, it's fun to guess. Otherwise, fighting with our FSA company to get them to reimburse me for childcare with my money, which I already, you know, gave them, we can get our childcare paid pre-tax instead of after-tax, which saves quite a bit of money. But apparently when you submit the form, it has to show, it's not enough for it to show that you owed a bunch of money and now you don't owe a bunch of money. It has to show the actual line where you paid. And like, I would presume that if it showed I owed a bunch of money and now I don't owe a bunch of money, that it would be that it came expected from how that happened, yeah. but apparently not. And other than that, our big changes at work are still trucking along slowly through the mire of bureaucracy in a large company. So other than that, not much. How have you been, Arlene? Things have been good. We had the classifier this week. So for uh, non-dairy people, that's the person who, for in our case, comes from Hosting Canada and they come and give our cows grades. So they tell us how they look compared to the, you know, kind of their standard, their perfect cow. So we had had that yesterday. So that's an exciting day for everybody on the farm. And it's pretty neat that my, the, the first phone call usually we get after the classifier comes is from my husband's grandmother. So she's, she's 97, but she called before we had had supper last night to check in on, on how they did and what the results were. And back in the fifties, I believe the first registered purebred cows on this farm came from her father's farm. So that's kind of a, an interesting lineage. He was quite sick at the time and they found out afterwards it was that he had undiagnosed diabetes, but at the time it, that was not the easiest thing to figure out. So they dispersed his herd and she was already married to my husband's grandfather at the time. So they went, went to the dispersal sale and, and bought a bunch of purebreds because before that the cows here, I think were milking shorthorns. So 
those first Holsteins came from from her side of the family, which is which pretty neat. And she's always been a cow person, so she had to check up on on how everybody's doing. She still has her driver's license, although she doesn't drive in the winter time very much. But in the the rest of the year, sometimes we'll we'll look out and see her her car might be parked in front of the barn, and she's just out checking up on everybody and seeing how the cows look. So she's still very very interested in what's going on here on the farm. And another thing that's been kind of exciting, not farm-wise, but kid-wise, is that the rules have changed recently and we're allowed to volunteer at the kids' school again for, during pandemic times, there was nobody other than teachers or staff or students that were allowed in the building. So I wasn't allowed to walk through the door. So I've been volunteering a little bit again, which was something that I, you know, for a lot of years I didn't do because I always had a baby at home when you've got four kids it felt like there was always a, a toddler or baby in the house and I couldn't really volunteer too much time but now that everybody's actually in school I can volunteer a little bit so I've been doing some reading with second graders which is pretty cute. I, I'm going tomorrow to sign the boy child up for like actual preschool you know he's in preschool now but it's through the daycare it's you know three-year-old preschool four-year-old preschool is run by the school system so it's like real school and then i realized that the girl child is going to be registered for kindergarten and then i just had some real feelings about that one because that's you know so like preschool is that like a full day or how does that work i don't we don't really our have any program in our area full days four days a week our school district instead of doing teacher in service days off does a late start every wednesday instead which is nice because it's consistent through the year but so they don't have preschool on wednesdays so they go to daycare on wednesdays but it's okay it is nice it's a full day and they go and you know eat in the lunchroom with the big kids and you know do that sort of thing so it's they're getting to be real people which is kind yeah. of fun so will it get to the point where you can send them on the bus or are you gonna have to be a driving family based on where you go to school and where you live it's an interesting question because we're open enrolled, but the bus will be going directly past our house anyway. So I'm hoping that perhaps we can offer to um, make a contribution to the bus fund or something and not have to drive them. Otherwise, we can always take them around the corner to the neighbor's house and put them on the bus there. But at that point, I might as well just drive them to school. Right. So. You know, we'll see. I'm a little afraid of one of their little cousins who's the same age as the girl child will also be on the bus. And I'm a little afraid of what the repercussions will be like for everyone else on that bus if we put all three of them on the bus together. <laughs> but that's their problem. Kids learn a lot of things on the bus. They really do. They really, <laughs> yeah. They've been picking up some things at school already. The The girl child has come home with some much more traditional and patriarchal ideas recently than we generally espouse in our household, which I'm trying not to sound too argumentative towards her little five-year-old friends because that seems a little, you know, a little much. You know, we've been hearing a lot more, well, this is for girls. That's for boys. Right. Yeah. I don't think so, kid. Um, yeah. She also sometimes came... that's just kids way of trying to figure out the world too right yeah. like yeah. sorting things into categories that yeah we i mean we have to push back a little bit on that kind of stuff but it's also the way their brains work too yeah there is that and then the other day she came home and said that the that she doesn't like the way that i touch her hair because it's wrong and she said my teacher touched my hair very gently she pats my hair just like this. And I was like, why is your teacher patting your head? And then I opened her backpack and found the letter about one of the kids has lice. That was just <laughs> right. Just a and gentle pat while she's I, just, you know, I should have known her. exactly what that was about. And I mean, <laughs> yeah, lice happen. No, yeah. no shame. Kids oh, are absolutely. fucking grimy anyway. Like, yeah, well, and the letter comes home all the time. So yeah. But, I was hoping that was one of the things that during the pandemic we could just get rid of. It was like, all right, we're all apart for a little while. Let's just treat everybody for lice or check everybody for lice and stop that while we're flattening the curve. 
but I did I wonder we got some very harsh realities about the economic makeup of our school district last week looking at the school district website and wondering you know what things we could donate to the school that would make the best impact for other kids I think I'm gonna you know order a bunch of lice kits to just leave on hand at the classrooms because that shit's expensive I mean it's twenty dollars a box Mm -hmm, for lice shampoo you know and that's we are incredibly lucky to be in a place where 20 bucks for life shampoo is a problem, but there's a lot of families in our district that that would be a problem for. And, you know, of all the things mm-hmm. that families shouldn't have to worry about being able to pay for, things like lice treatment is really, you know, at the top of that list, especially because they can't go back to school until they have proof that they've been treated. So, you know, that puts a lot yeah, of families a in idea. a really ugly place. Yeah. yeah. So I, <laughs> I had no idea Should how we, uh, badly my head could itch. Now? No, I had no idea how badly my head could itch <laughs> yes. until I read that letter. <laughs> but yes, Arlene, on that note, we can move on to our guest. <laughs> From lice to our guest. Yay. Who is much more pleasant than lice. That, I don't know, that sounds bad. <laughs> we like you more than lice. <laughs> Welcome to our show. <laughs> oh, this is why we're never going to get a huge distribution deal. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we have the privilege of interviewing Leslie Kelly, known also as High Heels and Canola Fields on social media. Leslie is a blogger, farmer, parent, business owner, podcaster, and the co-founder of the Do More Agriculture Foundation. Thank you, Leslie, for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So we start off by asking each of our guests the same question because it covers a lot of different parts of life from crops to kids to businesses and platforms. So we'll ask you this question too. Leslie, what are you growing? What am I growing? Oh, I am growing seeds of love and hope. That's a good start. Are you also some crops? <laughs> oh, you're, oh, I thought you were talking more about life. Yes, yes, we, we grow crops. Uh, we grow um, on our farm, we grow lentils and canola and wheat. Those are the three main crops that we grew this past year. And then I believe you have a couple of kids as well. Is that true? Yes, I'm uh, growing a couple, uh, uh, well, a couple little boys, nine and six, Jenny and Zay Copeland. We have uh, similar ages. I've got three boys, but they're in that age range too. So uh, oh, nice. some similarities there. And then you also have a business and a nonprofit. Which one do you want to tell us about first? Oh, well, I can talk about the not-for-profit, Do More Egg. Sure. So myself and uh, three other individuals from Saskatchewan co-founded the Do More Agriculture Foundation. We're coming up on our fourth year anniversary, which is so amazing because when we started, we knew we wanted to help farmers, but we didn't really understand the magnitude of the impact that Do More Ag and how our industry is really championing this cause. So Do More Agriculture, we are a foundation that champions the mental mental health of our Canadian farmers. But through support from the industry, from coast to coast, we become the national leader in in the mental health space for agriculture. And we focus on three three pillars. The first one is awareness. So providing the industry with awareness um, and education and knowledge um, to understand what mental health is, what it means for us to be healthy. And then the second one is building community. So that uh, focuses on building um, a safe environment, virtual um, or in person, at the kitchen table, at the boardroom table, at events to foster safe and positive dialogue around mental health. And uh, that also encompasses a hub of resources, you know, bringing that community together to in one place so they can find resources and support and then the third one is all about resources because we know in agriculture we need more resources or we don't know where to look for for resources so we really focus on helping our industry be aware of what's available and then filling those gaps and creating resources for our farmers and their farm families so leslie arlene wrote that this is a quick question i I think maybe she's losing it how do you do it all you know, uh, I three words, <laughs> one sentence or less. How do you do it? One sentence or 
Well, it's a quick I, question. It, I said it's not a quick oh, answer. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Oh. <laughs> because my quick answer would be I don't. I yeah. I'm. I've had the opportunity to do many cool and different things in my life, and I I don't do it all at. So I've got my hands in lots of different buckets that uh, bring me joy and give me lots of opportunities to learn. Um, and to grow and it changes in the season. So there's some seasons like right now I'm on the road a lot and so my husband back at home with the kids and then there's some seasons where I'm more involved in the farm and then less on the business side and then there's some seasons where I, I coach and I'm involved in my my kids kids lives. So the seasons change and so do I. So I don't I don't do it all. I, I try to do my best and be there for for my family. And I live by my values that family comes first, and then the farm, and then then the other stuff. That was actually a pretty quick answer too. <laughs> I'm impressed. So you talked a bit about do more egg. Uh, the foundation. I was just wondering if there was a certain event or something that really brought that organization together, or if it was more ongoing discussions, or what was kind of the origin story of, of the organization? Yeah, what had happened was, and I never um, considered myself a mental health advocate. I didn't know much about mental health. And it was my my family who who's taught me a lot. Everyone in my family has had a mental health challenge or a mental illness at one point in their life. My little sister, she was recently diagnosed with having borderline personality disorder. And she's lived with that for most of her life. My dad, when he was battling cancer and through, you know, ongoing treatments. He lived with anxiety and depression in those two years that he fought it. My brother a few years ago came upon a tragic accident and is living with PTSD and anxiety. I went through postpartum depression after our second child was born and my husband lives with anxiety and suffers from panic attacks mainly attributed to farm stress. So mental health is near to our hearts. I saw my family go through really, really hard times and we we didn't know how to support each other. We didn't know how to talk about mental health. We didn't know what to do. And through learning more about mental health and this journey that we've been on together, it's brought our family and farm closer closer together. And through that, through that journey, my my girlfriend, she put out a tweet. This would have been about five years ago. And she had received a message from someone she'd never met um, in person, but they had sent it to her online. And they were looking for resources for um, a family whose farmer had died by suicide. And she went online, tried to search, and she couldn't find many resources. So she put out a tweet asking Agriculture to to do more, that farm stress is real, and suicide is real. And we saw a conversation in line really unfold that everyone was saying, you know, we need to do more, let's do more agriculture, we need to step up. But what Matt and I, we were watching the conversation and we, we thought, well, what's our do more? Like, how can we help? And we're, everyone's saying we need to talk more, but we found that we still weren't really talking about it. So Matt and I did a, a video one night, a live video, something we had never done because many people didn't even know what we were going through or that he, he was living with anxiety. And we shared our story. And afterwards, um, you know, we were quite nervous about it. But afterwards, the reception was absolutely amazing from all around the world, in and outside of agriculture. And that made us realize that, um, wow, people, like, we're not the only ones. We thought we were the only ones. But people, people go through hard times and they feel alone. And that shouldn't be the case in agriculture. Um, so with the response of that video and a and, uh, fellow farmer, my girlfriend's tweets, we sat down with a couple other individuals and said, you know, we, there's nothing, our farmers need help and there's, there's a gap in our industry. And by creating a nonprofit that focuses on and means mental health, that solely focused on mental health and farming, we could create some positive change. And then that started the, started the foundation and it's at its inception. 
It is amazing how much talking about mental health does make a difference. I mean, like Mm -hmm. it it used to be, I know in, in my, my family history and my husband's family history, there's a history of mental illness, but so often that was in whispers or in, you know, things that went unsaid or wasn't talked about. But then when you can have those conversations as adults or, or with your kids and let them know that that that's part of our family history, that that makes a huge difference. And even saying those things out loud to your doctor and or nurse practitioner, or, you know, whoever's the other people in your life that are trying to help you stay healthy by knowing the answers to those questions, you know, probably even when I was pregnant with my first child, I didn't, didn't necessarily know they start to ask you those family history questions. You're like, Oh, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. Like, you know, I know my grandpa passed away, but was that heart disease or was that something else? You know, like when they ask you for a, a medical history, sometimes you, you don't know and your mental health history is important to know too, but a lot of us don't know the whole story. And, and without that knowledge, you can't make good decisions about your own health. Yeah, absolutely. So Leslie, what are your thoughts on getting buy-in from that older generation? I know around here, a lot of times we hear, well, you know, depression wasn't a thing when we were younger. And I'm like, well, A, a lot of factors have changed. And B, if we look at how dysfunctional a lot of these families were, there were obviously problems that we just didn't have language for, or didn't have any way to help with. So we just didn't talk about it. And like Arlene said, we just had that neighbor who was a little different and maybe didn't leave the farm and didn't socialize or whatever and then you know we just never talked about it and as we're you know having kids and that trying to get that buy-in from an older generation of this being a real thing to be concerned about and I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you have any thoughts on that yeah and, and for sure I didn't realize how deep that stigma runs within agriculture until we started to talk about it. And we knew doing something in public for everyone to see that some people might might not agree. And we did receive some negative feedback. We were told there is a time and place to talk about mental health and this isn't the time nor place. We were told, well, my husband was told that he was a pretend farmer. And if you can't handle the stress, you can't call yourself a farmer. Or if you can't handle the stress, get out. And these were from our peers that, you know, at the time we had lost over a thousand acres due to flooding and our farm was in financial distress. And we thought like, you know, we can't be the only ones. And then that's that, that's that stigma and just not enough awareness or a lack of awareness um, about what mental health is and how it impacts and how it affects families and our our communities around us but what was or has been quite surprising is how the older generation has also been our biggest supporters and because they know they they've gone through those hard times i remember my parents going through hard times being little and us not talking much about mental health but i could feel it in the house i could feel that stress and they they get that my girlfriend shares one of the first i have two stories of where life-changing or times in the conversation of mental health that is particular to the older generation so my girlfriend was at one of her first events where they talked openly, it was probably in a room of a thousand people, and they talked openly about mental health. And at the end of the talk, an older farmer, probably in his 80s, came up to the mic, and she instantly thought, oh, I'm going to get blasted. And similar to Matt and I, and he held up his fingers and said, I do not have enough fingers to the amount of friends and family that I've lost to suicide. It's about damn time we start talking about it. And that whole room, you could instantly see people's shoulders go, oh. And then all the hands started to come up and people started to stand up and go to that mic. It just took that one person to say, hey, I've been there. We don't have to live like this anymore to open it up and and share that it's, hey, no one knows what a farmer goes through than another farmer. And let's, let's do this. What a pivotal moment. And with myself, similar with one of my first panel events, and the room had about 400 chairs. 
and it was a breakout session. So I thought, oh, you know, if, if four or five farmers come, that'll just, that'll be great and so worth it. And they opened the doors to this session and farmers, they, they flocked in and they ran in and every seat in that room was taken. There was farmers even sitting down in the middle of the aisle and at the back, they were standing at the back. And we asked the first question, if, if they knew of someone in their community, in their family, within their friends who, is, who had died by suicide. And 95% of that room stood up. And it, it, it was gut-wrenching. And as we shared, there was a farmer that was directly um, across from me. He was probably about 65. He had a hat on. And during that discussion, he cried the whole time. And afterwards, he came up to us and he said, you know, I'd, I'd like to thank you. And I asked, well, well, why? And he said, I'm going to go home and talk to my wife. You just saved my life. He didn't have to share what he was going through, but he just felt that support and that he wasn't alone in that room. And life, life changing. So I get it that it is hard to to share what you're going through because it's hard. It's, it's so hard, but that's where we can change that culture and that conversation. So no matter what generation you're in, if you're impacted by mental health, whether that's yourself or someone around you, that you're not the only one and that there is hope and that there is help out there. So, Leslie, with you mentioning speaking to groups, um, we see that you're on the road a lot these days. Where are you going and where have you been and what are you talking about? Well, I haven't where been. Are you going all these places? <laughs> yeah, have haven't you gone been... anywhere in the last two years? Tell us about it. <laughs> I have not. And that I did lots of, I had the opportunity to do, to still talk about mental health virtually during, during COVID. But before COVID, oh, I had the opportunity to really go coast to coast across Canada, down into the States. Oh, I can't, top of my mind, I can't really remember where I was before for COVID, but now that traveling is starting to pick up and have in-person events, I've been very grateful to be out. I was in Alberta three times in November. I was down in Wyoming to speak at a women in agriculture group. And then I just got home from Washington where I spoke at uh, the Tri-State Wheat Growers Conference about mental health. So yeah, it's, um, it's very great to be out at events and see people in person. And I didn't realize how much I missed that and just seeing different parts of agriculture and meet new friends and new neighbors. So, and also to share mental So I, I'm very, I'm very, very grateful and honored to, to be able to do what I do. And as a fellow Canadian, I was very jealous to see that you got to go to Target. <laughs> I went to Target, not once, but <laughs> twice. <Whoa. laughs> We, we had Target briefly, even in our small town, we had a Zellers that closed and a Target moved in like five minutes from my house. And then of course it, they went bankrupt, but we went down to the States one time and my son was, I don't know, it was maybe seven or eight at the time. And we walked in and he said, oh, there's that Target smell. <laughs> oh, like, oh, now that you imagine it. Yes, I do recognize that. <laughs> I was so happy and I told I phoned my husband after I went to Target I'm like you don't have to do any Christmas shopping because I've <laughs> I've done it all for myself yeah. we can put it in bags and boxes if you want <laughs> I both times I couldn't even close my carry-on I had bought like sweaters and even just the food I last trip I went to Walmart and I just wandered around in Walmart because of the different options that they have down there and I also bought uh I went to Target my first night in Washington. I bought uh, Target wine. <laughs> that was a first. So it's funny how when you don't get to go out and do things for a couple of years, how much you, you miss that stuff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, Leslie, speaking of swag, I heard you on your podcast talking about your world's okayest podcast co-host t-shirt. <laughs> is this something you just made yourself or is there somewhere to obtain one of these? for our for my because <laughs> i feel like this is something that i really need the inside joke is i did a video oh it's probably three or four years ago of of me being introduced as a new green cart operator 
and I was so bad. But I videotaped myself and I didn't realize how I wasn't the only one that, you know, being a green cart driver is, it's hard. You have to be at different places at different times and figure out different hand signals and high stress situations. And I realized I wasn't the only one out there. So the video got lots of traction. And so I, I created this shirt called the world's okayest grain cart driver. And that's been quite popular. And as a Christmas gift uh, to my fellow podcast co-host, I then did a spin-off and then created the uh, world's okayest uh, pod co or podcast co-host for him. So I only did it as a little special treat to play on the green cart shirt, but he thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> Gotcha. I did see the uh, Green Cart shirt on your Instagram as well. And yeah. <laughs> I think it is important to remember, especially for women who didn't grow up involved in ag the same way that their husbands did, they probably have, you know, 20 or 30 years experience on you in doing things like driving a green cart. And so it's, you know, we joke a lot about it a lot, but it's pretty unfair to expect that we're just going to be, you know, total rock stars right out of the gate with it. Yeah, my, my husband and my brother have been fantastic and so patient because that's what they said. They said, you know, we didn't hop in a in a tractor and become an expert overnight. And I grew up on a farm, but I've never really been equipment or running equipment or even the mechanics part was never my forte. I always enjoyed the business part. So being in, in the equipment and just how big the, the machinery is, um, it is quite daunting and to put yourself in a situation to say, hey, I can do this or I'm going to try. That's a big thing. And I think that we have to celebrate that more in agriculture, just the trying, the learning um, part of it, because it's it's a big deal. You're outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. And you're outside of your comfort zone in a big piece of equipment that costs a lot of money, yeah. too, which I find that mm -hmm. much more threatening. Hey, that costs two hundred thousand dollars, and it's huge. Don't mess it up. But right. Don't be nervous. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Here's a walkie-talkie. Now go. That, that's how. Yep. Even the first time I ran a sprayer, my husband he uh, I got into the the seat, and he came up and he said, "Press this, press this, full bunny, pull the lever, and go." <laughs> and I looked like a deer in headlights, and I probably only went like five kilometers on the road of driving the sprayer because it. Yeah, it was. It's intimidating. When it's like every year when we rake hay, you know, we still use pretty small equipment. And there's always this like, now I'm going to need you to go that way and then go this way. And then, you know, there's all these complicated. I'm like, I just need you to tell me which direction I'm going. And if I need to like come back the other direction or keep going, like, don't give me any bizarre, I don't know, where I'm, where I grew up in central Iowa, the fields are all mile squares. So right. you go a mile and then you come back a mile or some, you know, portion thereof. And where I live in Northeast Iowa, a lot of our fields are like zero right angles at any place and, you know, 16 corners in a field and it's three acres, you know, like, well, cool. This is not as easy to navigate. So, oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Throw in some sloughs and I I get oh, so yeah. turned around. Yeah. It's a good muddy spots in there. <laughs> So as a parent, and we're parents too, you alluded to it a little bit in your intro talking about life being kind of in, in seasons, but how are you working to make time for family amidst all the busyness of life? And what other, other advice do you have for parents who are trying to raise kids and do all the other stuff at the same time? Oh, it's, it's so hard. I, I've felt I at times haven't been the best mom and I found myself crying in the bathroom with a glass of wine thinking, you know, I try my best, but and tomorrow I'll do better. I'm learning as I go. My kids have taught me so much about life and love and happiness and joy. And they're little right now, but it, and it feels like in a blink of an eye, they were a baby and now they're six and nine. So to me, I'm trying my bestest to take in this season that we're in. It's a fun season and time in our lives, but they grow up so fast. So for me, family always, family comes first. When my kids are home from school, you know, I, I put down the phone. I don't try to book 
meetings around supper, we we ask each other some questions about their day. We're really intentional with that time together. We try to sit down and have supper almost every night together. We try to spend as much time as we can together at the farm. They love sports, so that's a priority for uh, feel so good to, to know that you've got someone in your corner and someone in the stands that is watching you. And I know it'll seem like tomorrow they're going to be off to college. So I'm trying to take in as much of this time as I can. But there are times where I get a phone call and I have to step away and they, they understand and they, they know, but I try my hardest to, to have cuddles in the morning, supper time together bedtime stories and be there for the things that I know bring them joy. So can you tell us a bit about your podcast and be honest about what it's like podcasting with your co-host Rob Sharkey, who's the shark farmer? Yeah, um, it's such a, it's been a really great adventure and a cool opportunity to co-host alongside him because he is so good at what he does. He has taught me so much about listening and really, really hearing people. And what is the most fascinating around and like what you guys would know is talking to different people and how much you learn from from someone else. Our industry is small, but man, it's vast. And like the breadth and the depth of our industry is quite um, incredible. And we've had the opportunity to interview scientists and musicians and chefs and firefighters and it's like the list goes on and on so it it is really cool so it's called what the farm podcast and the goal is to bridge the gap between urban and rural but through just real life conversation to not to get into the weeds about you know some technical stuff but just learn about the people the people behind you know what we do and why we do it and then also hear from those that might not know a lot about agriculture and the questions that they have and who they are and what's important so that's what i i love most is just learning learning about people and hearing hearing why they do what they do and why they why they love it so what do you think makes someone a particularly good or bad guest for an interview? Oh, well, I wouldn't say... For like the worst <laughs> interview, and I was like, well, that's going to kill her reputation real quick. You know. uh, well, for Let's myself, I was late for ours. So not being late. I think what a really great interview is just when the person shares their their truth and their story. That's what matters, and it comes from the heart, and nothing beats coming from the heart or that passion that you could evoke. And and with that comes questions to get there, not to stump on questions, but just ask questions where you know that will will get to the heart of yeah of why they do what they do and and the how. So. Wouldn't say any anything bad. Just every interview I've had, I've always walked away learning something. So, I know your children are young, but at this point, do you see them being interested in the farm? And would you want them to be involved in agriculture as a as a career path as they grow up? Yeah, we've started to have conversations with our our nine year old. He, I would say, is the most interested. But for us, what we're sharing with them is do what makes you happy and uh, do things that you really love to do and know that hopefully across uh, our fingers that the farm will be here when when you figure that out or through that path so if they want to continue to farm or want to be involved that would be great but if they have other passions first and foremost i want them to be happy and i will support them no matter what we do have matt and i have talked about you know what that looks like if they do come back and this could change but right now our thoughts would be they have to go and get some type of post-secondary education or a trade because that will always help them when coming back and running a business or applying it to to the farm and we would love if they could then go and work for another farm to see how that farm is managed, you know, the great things, the things that we can learn from, and then also work in corporate egg or the egg industry to get a feel of both sides of both farm and industry. So they have um, that different perspective. 
and um, then come back. And I think by having um, those experiences and those skills, it'll set them up and the farm for success if that's what they want to do when they grow up. So I know your- we're trying to, to find that balance between wanting to, you know, let them experience farm life. And if they're passionate about it, let them be involved and yet not want to put too much pressure on their shoulders either. Right. Where mm-hmm. They don't feel like that this is something that they, they have, have to do that. They feel obligated to do that. I, yeah, you do want it to be, to be a choice and, and not an obligation or, or to feel too much pressure. Exactly. And I didn't realize that I wanted to come back to the farm or farming was even a passion until I was in probably my last year at university or even my first job. And that was when I thought, yeah, I I do enjoy this. I want to come back. So everyone goes at uh, their own pace. And yeah, to know that the opportunity is there, but they have to make the decision for them. So Leslie, question for both of you. What are your thoughts on if both or all of your kids want to come home and farm, assuming that your current operation isn't able to support you know more than one family or certainly in you know in Arlene's case four families this is just something that you know we talk about because our kids are five and three and a half and you know our farm isn't that big and just having to really you know think about what that might look like in the future and you know trying to make an equitable decision yeah, for sure. And we went through that when we came back to the farm. The farm was supporting one family, and then all of a sudden it was supporting three. And we worked through that as to what that could look like. Matt and I made a short-term sacrifice to live, you know, two hours away from the farm or a four. So he would commute four-hour round trip so I could have a career. He built a business on the side. My brother built a business on the side because, yeah, the farm wasn't in a situation to, to do that. So for us, knowing the that transition or succession plan isn't one and done it's really a lifelong journey we have just finished or at the tail end of with my parents retiring my my dad passed away a few months ago and my mom is then selling us um, their corporation but yeah it is a journey as, as to Um, who wants to be involved, what that looks like in terms of roles, what that looks like in terms of structure and equity. We were involved with the farm with my brother and to know that the next phase of the future might involve um, one to four four children because he has children too and what that could look like. So in terms of land, equipment, and it's good to have those conversations to continually plan or just think of thoughts and ideas. For us, it was also diversification. We built a snack food company, had custom harvesting, custom spraying. I'm looking at different avenues too to help make those um, next phases of the farm and continue its growth. So an ongoing dialogue, ongoing conversations, thinking what ifs, what could be, yeah, I think that's the, you know, one of the benefits of being self-employed, right, is that the farm, what it looks like today doesn't have to be the way it looks in five years or 10 years. And and the person who is running things now can shape it to be what they want. And then the next generation can turn that into something completely different, right? I mean, the the, the farm that my, we're on my husband's family farm, but the farm that his grandfather had while we're physically in the same space or on the same land does not look the same and you know yes we're, we're still milking cows but you know they used to raise beef cows as well and they had a lot less land than we do and they raise different kinds of crops and so so if if the next generation whether that's singular or, or multiple want to to create opportunities using this land then i guess that's you know we can we can help them with that but then that's going to also have to be driven by what they want to do and how they make that happen. Yeah, to me, it sounds, it's super exciting because I just think of, you know, the possibilities if my kids want to come back and and build something using the skills and the farm, like how cool it is, that would be to see that and be part of that process too. So looking looking forward to the future. I know for our family, I think it's really been a process of refining like what our highest priority is and being very open and intentional about that because, you know, we know, and I'm sure you guys do too, a lot of families who've been destroyed by arguments over 
who gets what and you know so and so got more than me and you know so for us the highest priority is the family staying together and then the mm -hmm. second highest priority is keeping the farm land owned by the family and then you know it sort of stair steps down from there into you know things that would be nice and things we might hope for but that you know really thinking about what those priorities look like and i think it's solved a lot of arguments that we might have had in the future just by you know especially my husband and i being on the same page about what the priorities are yeah so very true that was one of the first um, parts of our transition plan because my dad saw it we were all in different directions matt and i wanted this um, or even i wanted this matt wanted that then derek thought this and then my parents didn't really they had different fears and goals because you know going in a, a next phase of their life so yeah we sat down and determined what those values and priorities were and same family comes first then the farm and then financials and then we built a set of cultural principles that really help in terms of how we communicate with each other and how we treat each other and how we treat our employees and how we value community around us and it really that has been the most beneficial of setting our farm up for six Sorry, it's hard for us to know who's going to take the next question how soon. I turned my video <laughs> off trying to deal with the slow internet. <laughs> I um, think you're up next, Katie. Am I? But it's a red question. <laughs> I have the same with Rob, where we, oh, we interrupt each other. Oh, you already asked that one. Oh, my I God. already asked that Sorry. one. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> you, you were editing some of your questions, and I jumped yeah. into that one. That led to that discussion we just had. Let's see. So with the discussion around mental health and agriculture, what are some of your suggestions and tips for farm families when they're struggling with their mental health concerns and especially with their children? Oh, so the one I've learned so much in my, my journey from not knowing really much or anything about mental health, if my biggest piece of advice, if you or someone you know around you is going through a hard time is to check in on them because sometimes like I I didn't realize with Matt he he knew something was wrong or he was going through a hard time but he he felt that was the way he's always been but it was myself and my other family members you know sharing with him you know is everything okay we're worried about you, we care about you. So asking those questions how they're doing and showing that you care and that you're there and that no matter what, that you'll be there. And that goes, that is, that can be life-saving and life-changing. When it comes to your children's mental health, I'm, um, I can see bits and pieces, you know, with my kids and some moments of anxiety or, you know, when they're going through a hard time. So for me, what we've been trying to do, being at the ages that they're in with six and nine, is foster or create an environment that it is okay to share, no matter what. No matter what with your mom and dad, we are your safe place. And then it's to name that feeling. Because even at times, I know that my stress is high, but it is, I'm, is it that I'm overwhelmed or am I mad or am I frustrated or am I angry? So that in itself, like naming what you're feeling, it gives, it gives it less power. And even that can take the weight of the world off. So for our, our kids, it's for, for us and, and helping them to figure out what it is that they're feeling and then to talk about it with us. And I think through that, that has been really beneficial in our family. And I know that in the next phase of life, there'll be different types of conversations and different ways that we can help support them. But that's been really helpful for us right now. It seems like laying that groundwork so they understand how to deal with feelings is so important. Because, you know, mm -hmm. the same way that you teach them how to deal with other humans when they're, you know, four-year-olds throwing sand at each other is teaching them how to deal with other humans when they're grown adults. And it's the same thing with their mental health. Absolutely. You know, just, yeah. You're setting them up for success later. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to give them some tools in their toolbox for right now that will help help them in the future too. If I have to say as a, as a rural dweller, I 
I kind of love the move towards virtual healthcare as well, because being able to see a therapist without, you know, driving 30 miles into town and then driving 30 miles home and, you know, having to interrupt things like that is really nice to be able to just flip the computer on and, you know, see the person and not have to haul all over the countryside to do it. Yeah, and our family, we've done, you know, prior to COVID, both myself within our marriage and our farm family, we've had professional help where we've gone in and had counseling sessions and strategy sessions that have given us those tools to help in communication or how to support each other, support ourselves. And then through COVID, yeah, we've done that virtually and it has been just as as great. And sometimes, yeah, like we can't afford to go in for a session in the midst of harvest, but we can access through our our phone. Matt's phone, the crisis lines when he's been in the tractor. I've gone through a virtual session, um, you know, when I've been hauling grain in the cab of a truck during those busy seasons. So it's really, yeah, it's reducing, it reduces a barrier for us in rural areas to get help. Well, and I think too, for a lot of folks, you know, they're worried about privacy and, you know, in in a town of 500 people, being seen walking into the therapist might be a deterrent for some folks for, you know, for getting help. And so if you can connect from home or from your phone or whatever, you know, out in a tractor, nobody's going to know about it, which obviously it shouldn't be an issue, but for a lot of people it is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's a barrier that we can get rid of, then so much the better. I think allowing to for that diversity of, of skills. I mean, like you were saying, do more ag has has a place to look for resources. Maybe your local therapist doesn't fit your needs. You know, maybe you want to talk to someone who understands ag or who understands the unique stresses that you're under. And maybe it might be a better fit to have a therapist who's from Alberta than your small town in Ontario, but you can still talk to that person and connect with them in, in real time and and maybe have a, a more beneficial relationship than what you could find if you were just limited to where you can drive or, or what's what's nearby. So very true. So one of our other favorite questions that we ask each of our guests is, if you were going to dominate a category at a county fair, what would it be? And the category can be real or made up to ensure that you actually win. <laughs> oh my goodness. I this is such a fun question. So if I were to dominate a category, oh, I would have to say the category I would dominate and likely would would win is how many animals I have aggressively nudged this past season in the truck. <laughs> what kind of animals are we talking about? Oh, so many deer. I've hit so many deer. <laughs> And my husband's poor truck and and, and my SUV, there was a time where I went and was driving my SUV, hit a deer and then drove his or his truck and then hit a deer. The same day. (laughs) Within, yeah, less than 24 hours. Oh, gosh. I like the moving cattle really aggressively or something. I was a little surprised by that. I've I've really aggressively nudged a lot of deer. (laughs) Fair enough. I haven't nudged a deer in a while, but now I need to uh, remember to keep my eyes peeled. <laughs> I know we, we had a girl several years ago near my hometown who had hit, I want to say like 21 deer in two years or something. It was just oh. like, maybe they should just not let her drive anymore. <laughs> I know. Or she's clearing the road for everybody. Yeah. I'm like, is she swerving to hit them or like, what's going on? Uh, that's that's a lot what's of when I made a claim, that's what the adjuster said was, are you swerving to hit these deer? And I'm like, oh, no, just our area is very on a highway. It's very treed. And I've been on the road a lot at that dust time. And every time, it, I swear. <laughs> yeah, I think well, there maybe... is just a law of averages for when you're out there and where you are. Yeah, we had to make a claim once because someone driving our our truck and trailer home from the sail barn had swerved to avoid a deer and ended up in a worse accident because of it. So sometimes sometimes nudging the deer is the better option because if you start to fishtail, then uh, things can go bad pretty quickly too. At least with a deer, you kind of know what's going to happen. Yes, yeah. 
<laughs> so our next category, as we uh, wind down the episode, we have a cussing and discussing section. So we encourage submissions from our listeners. If you have something you want to cuss or discuss, you can record a voice memo or send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com or send us a PM on Facebook or Instagram. So this is to cover the highlights, the lowlights, whatever you want to talk about. This category is for, for just the randomness of life. So Katie, what are you going to cuss about today? Or you can discuss. I mean, e either one's fair, but usually you're cussing about something. Thing. just gonna thanks Arlene it's true <laughs> well um, <laughs> I'm realizing how much I hate having to think about doing things like today for instance <laughs> I have to take my car in for a flat tire I don't really mind taking my car in for a flat tire but having to plan when I can take it and how long it's gonna take and what things will have to be rearranged to do it just that that kind of bullshit I hate that part like yeah. I just I, I want to be able to just do the thing. I don't want to have to think about it first, especially when yeah. it's little crap like getting a tire fixed. And then wonder how yeah how long it'll take on on their end. Not that you're rushing them, but if you could just predict, you know, like is this going to be a ten minute fix or am I going to have to wait an hour at the tire shop? How much how much stuff can I get done while I'm waiting? I think that's the biggest part too. Is like I don't want to seem too type A and controlling, but like, can you? ballpark whether we're looking at 10 minutes or two hours because i've had yeah. both experiences and like <laughs> in the same know, i'm not shop, being pushy probably. i just really want to know you know yeah. how good of a book should i bring along you know how long am i going to be sitting here that's ugh, making my neck crawl just thinking about it leslie what have you got to cuss and discuss oh i don't know if i have I did have to cuss at my husband <laughs> uh, because he, we were done harvest so early and I asked for the Christmas lights to be put up and it was such a gorgeous fall. And I tried to help him when, before I left for my travels and it was like zero degrees Celsius, beautiful weather to put up lights. And when I came home and then it was minus 30, they still weren't up. So I cussed at him to get the Christmas lights up. And then what he told me was, we work the best together when we don't work together. And I said, I have to agree. <laughs> so I, I feel like I, I cussed him a little bit more than I should have this past week. <laughs> are they oh, Christmas yet? lights. They are, he, he did put them up <laughs> in minus 30 weather <laughs> and he froze his fingers. <laughs> That was our situation too, except my husband started to put them up on the nice day. We thought we could get one more year out of those strands. And then he got shocked and blew a breaker. And he was like, nope, we oh. thought we could just, you know, substitute a few, you know, get that. Yeah, no, there was not one more season left. So then it was a cold day by the time they went up. So yeah, gotta, Katie, oh, oh, no, go ahead. I, we have one of those barn, you know, a, a projector that shines lights on the wall because we have oh, nice. a big barn, you know, in the middle of the property. And it's just like the most ridiculous thing I could come up with, the shine moving lights all over the front of it. But I have to come up with a new way to mount the to mount the light this year. Last year I used the calf warmer, which worked pretty well, but I'm always worried we're gonna need it for a calf. And, <laughs> and then it'll ruin your light display. <laughs> well and I don't think it's really appreciated to leave the calf warmer sitting like in the middle of the driveway. But the kids are asking for lights to be up, so I gotta figure something out. <laughs> so Arlene what have you got today so my cussing and discussing today is called display normally I like it but the other day oh, yeah. my phone rang and it was the principal and it was that moment I have three boys in the same school so it was it was the principal for where all three of them go and it was that moment of panic where it's like do I want an injury or do I want misbehavior <laughs> And how bad is this call going to be? It, en it ended up being a minor injury. So that's really like the best of all worlds because it wasn't telling me something I was going to have to get mad at them about when they got home. And it didn't mean a hospital visit. So that, that was the best option. But sometimes I just don't, I mean, I guess it had the same feeling when I heard his voice on the phone. But, but knowing it was him just gave me that, that pit of my stomach feeling. Arlene, is, as a parent of older slash more children is there a polite way to tell them they don't have to call for for minor injuries or is this like a a requirement that they have to do you know well i know that it seems lately if it's like neck up they have to tell you okay. i think like the recent concussion protocols mean that okay. that anything around the face or head they're gonna call 
they don't tend to do anything from the neck down unless you know unless it's like broken or requiring stitches or that's been my experience so far i mean you can always tell them you don't want to know but well it seems that's, really that's totally it depends how many calls you're getting katie i've only gotten one so i i'm not gonna <laughs> i am knocking on wood <laughs> over here um yeah leslie our kids are we have a daughter who just turned five and a three and a half year old boy and they uh they live life at full speed shall we say so i'm anticipating that there might be a lot of calls from a nurse's office in my future um, there's maybe a form you can fill out for that like how much do you want to, how much do you want to know how much blood Unless does there have to be before you show <laughs> yeah do you want to meet them at the hospital or do you want to drive them there? Those are things you can decide maybe when they uh, start kindergarten. Yep. So Leslie, do you want to take a minute and plug your, your things and your social media and that so folks know where to find you? Sure. Yeah. First and foremost, if you're looking for mental health and agriculture information, content, resources, workshops, you can visit domore.ag. You can find me across social media platforms at High Heels and Canola Fields. And you can find What the Farm podcast across where you listen to podcasts as well. Leslie, I just wanted to tell you my daughter last year partnered with our local custom operator and made a calendar and they sent the proceeds to a family who had had a barn fire. And so this year, the our custom operator asked if they wanted, if she wanted to partner again, and she's been taking pictures all summer of cow, mostly cows, um, a bit of crops because she knew they wanted those in the calendar too, but mostly cows. So they did another calendar for this year, and they decided that the money was going to your foundation. So, oh wow, thank you. A big check, but she was very excited that I was talking to you today. Oh, that's wonderful. I would love to. Uh, can you put me in touch with her? And I'd love to buy one. That'd be sure. great. Yeah. Thanks. All so right. thank you for joining us today. We're really excited to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's been great. And yeah, I uh, look forward to hearing it. And thank you for taking the time and the opportunity for me to share what I do and why I do and all that good stuff. Well, you're an inspiration. So thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on Barnyard Language. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter at Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Facebook group at Barnyard Language Group. Please like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast, and if you enjoyed listening to us, leave a five-star review. We're always on the lookout for future guests for the podcast. If you know someone, or if you would like to chat, chat with us please get in touch you can support the show by becoming a patron on the barnyard language patreon a small monthly donation will allow us to keep producing the show